0: No, we're live. I messed it up completely.
1: That wasn't even close. You could have just done it and then gone in and cut this section out. I just, I, hi, welcome to the show. You know how it works. I'm inadequate in just about every way. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Peter Nicholas Dunn, formerly known as Pete the Planner. I don't. Hi, Dame. How are you?
0: How was your day? I was really banking on having that intro music to get me through the rest of the day.
1: Uh, Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Pete the Planner Show. I'm your host, Pete the Planner. It is a podcast. It is a syndicated radio show. But actually, the podcast is the recording of the syndicated radio show. But you know that by now we are joined by all of you viewing from all over the world who join us on Facebook Live, uh, YouTube Live and Twitter. Hello, Rick. Bringing that big Rick's energy this morning. Good morning. Thank you for that. Dame, it is going to be a doozy today. Oh, uh, plenty of Miguel this morning. I have not done a Miguel. Uh, although I do have an emergency Miguel. Hello, Jeremy. I have an emergency Miguel that I've stationed, uh, at my desk in case we feel like we need to go there. Can't wait to hear the crack of that can. It's coming. Um, very diverse show today. I'm actually looking forward to it. Um, number one, we have got, uh, Uh, an increase of people going to the ATMs apparently because more stores are giving cash discounts. Okay. So we we were talking about that, like carrying cash and, and like how that's changing and how it has changed and is now changing back the other way. super weird. We're going to talk about the crash (laughs) of Netflix and Peloton. What a horrible week for those two places. Yeah. Horrible. You didn't think you could bike crash on a stationary bike. But you can when you're stuck. (laughs) Uh, And then we're going to talk about insider trading. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why. Okay, here is our goal. And I need you to look me right in the eye here. We're going to talk about insider trading. Uh, We cannot reference the celebrity insider trading case that people always reference when they talk insider trading. Are you good with me? I, I don't know why, but sure why? Because it's, I think, here's why. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. Okay. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. Here's why. Yes. People use it as an example to explain things. That person paid for their crime. They did the time. Let's keep that person's name out of our mouth. Like this idea that if you make a mistake, pay for the mistake that you are now forever this mistake i'm just not comfortable with that uh and i have no particular affinity for that person but fair is fair i think we got to quit dragging that person through the mud as it relates to insider trading
0: even if she did get dragged through the mud i'm sure she could get those clothes sparkling clean
1: hola miguel hola peter All right, let's go. Uh, Dame, I really don't have time for this today. I've got very important things to do today. <laughs> Dame, um, I just got out of a meeting that stretched me to my, um, mental, my mental limits. It's very difficult.
0: Well, uh, we're hoping that doesn't carry over into the show.
1: Awesome. Well, I can't wait for that cough button to go on and for you to clear your throat. So I do not vomit the sound of your phlegm. All right, everybody. Um, It does smell like a Band-Aid. Jeremy, of course, comments that the Miguel, the first taste tastes like a Band-Aid. The second taste tastes like an Ace Bandage, which is a little bit different. Pre-wrap or no? Uh, You know what? Actually, it tastes more like pre-wrap. I want to do a commercial for Kirkland's signature cold brew coffee, 100% Colombian, or what we call a Miguel. Um, I, I feel like we should. I should do a, a free endorsement, celebrity endorsement. In quotes, of course, celebrity. Yeah. Uh, would you? May I? I? I think we absolutely should. And can we clip this out and put it on YouTube as a standalone as well? Uh, wait, you're asking me to do extra work no, uh, no, editing no. the show? No, no, I will. Okay. Then feel free. I'll send you the file. Okay. In three, two, one. Hi, I'm media darling, Pete the Planner. And when I need a boost of all natural energy, I turn to the roaring comfort of Miguel. 100% Colombian cold brew coffee made by the good people of Costco and their signature brand, Kirkland. If you need the jungle rip roaring through your bloodstream on a given day, reach for Miguel. Adios, muchachos. How was that?
0: Not bad. I uh, thought it was pretty good. I had no uh, stumbles. Yeah, no. Right, right off the top. Uh, you know, with a little, uh, little writing effort, we might be able to make that uh, a, a viral hit. <laughs>
1: Do you remember? Maybe you don't. Uh, do you remember 15 years ago when sort of memes and viral videos started to come out? They weren't really memes; more viral videos, and yeah. and like marketing people, like people at small businesses would be like, "I'm going to market my small business." You know what we need to do? Create a viral video. We just got to create a viral video, <laughs> and it was like, um, "What?" Yeah, it's, it, not, it, it's not how it works. Yeah, it's like you know what you do is just. Uh, We'll, with our limited budget of resources and knowledge of marketing, let's create something that the billions of people find endearing. Okay, get started, Jimmy. It doesn't work that way. No. And I, look, I, I'm not casting stones here. I think I was, I was like, I feel like several times I was like, well, we're just going to do some viral videos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, here's a topic for you. I was thinking about this yesterday. Um, in regards to what I have coming next week, Mm -hmm. do you ever think back about how your capacity for work has evolved as a working adult and like what you deem to be difficult and and strenuous in your 20, not physically, but maybe physically, uh, in your twenties, how that went to your thirties. And now that you are, and I are both 44 magnums, (laughs) that's weird. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Miguel. It is starting to be very uh uh what's uh what's the word I'm looking for uh, muy, mm, what's the word I'm looking for? It's movie something, <laughs> right? Hold on. Uh muy, uh hold on, let me find the word I'm looking for. Everyone stand by. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Spanglish will speak the platter. Pedro de Pesos here. Um all right. It muy fuerte. I was looking for strong fuerte. Yeah, I wouldn't have got that. Um. Anyway, do you ever think about how your capacity of work has changed? I do.
0: I also um. You hear people say, "Oh, that's hard work. That's hard work." Do Do you ever wonder if your definition of hard work matches up with somebody else's definition of hard work?
1: I love this topic. I we can do an hour on this. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's tough because you can lose empathy if you're not careful there. Yeah. And, and I will also admit I was not pleased with my own work ethic for a very long time. I am, I'm, I'm comfortable with it now, but I, even as a teen, a middle school kid, my, my daughter's age, like through 27, 28 years old, I did enough to have the level of success that I deemed to be the threshold. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't trying my hardest. And I feel like 28 is when it sort of all kicked in. Of course, then you have kids. And then then you're like, oh, well, now the stakes are actually really high. But I'm comfortable with the level of work I put in. I think as someone who owns a business, sometimes you think – it's weird, and, and dude, you I, you more than anyone as someone who's owned the business, I know you think this way. It's like, well, I need to set an example of mm-hmm. hard work and commitment, but then I stop short. I, I feel that way, but I also stop short expecting people to acknowledge my hard work because that's an unreasonable expectation. You know what I mean? Totally.
0: Yeah, I I think um, I shouldn't be expected for somebody to acknowledge something that I think is the minimum that should be. Put forward. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, thanks for paying your taxes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it, It is funny that sometimes by simply doing what's expected. That is unusual. It is unusual that to do what is expected, to work as hard, if not harder than other people, if you were the head of a business, but you so you can't expect credit for that. Now I will admit, it's not that I want people to acknowledge it or thank me. It has nothing to do with it. It's my business. But it's just like uh, I, uh, I want them to feel that way, but I don't expect it to be expressed to me. Do you know? What, is that is that fair? Um. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. I guess what I'm saying is I don't want to be the person who works the least. I don't want to be the person who shows up late, mm-hmm. leaves early, and can't be depended on. And I feel like we all have anecdotal stories. You have a direct story <laughs> of a boss who uh, is that way. Right? So that is, that is. I don't want to say that's the threshold because I don't want to use the same word twice in two minutes for no reason. But that is something I think about, right? It's like, I don't ever want to be viewed as like well, I work hard and that person does nothing. I mean, that's a horrible idea.
0: Yeah. I mean, at the same time, you know, I, I think about people who started a company from nothing. They were the only person doing their job and, uh, you know, working 80 hours a week. And they build it into something very, very significant. And if they get to the point where they want to do 15 hours of work a week, um, who am I to say that that's not what's appropriate for them or, or that they haven't earned that? But I think that then it's very important that there's another layer of leadership underneath them that's putting forth that work ethic that uh, is translated and uh, sets that, that expectation for the rest of the company. And uh, people can hopefully make that connection that uh, they
1: have that job because of all the hard work that individual put in early in their career. Yeah, it's interesting. It has a lot to do with risk reward, right? I mean, it has a lot to do with risk reward, but alas, we're not talking about that. Do as muy fuerte, Pedro de pesos enjoys Miguel. All right, you ready to start the show? Yes. All right, in three, two. This week on the Pete the Planner show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You email us, askpete at petetheplanner.com. That's askpete at petetheplanner.com, and we will do our darndest to answer your question without trying to sell you things, because we all do not like radio, in which the whole point of it is to sell you something. If you're joining us on the podcast... Good day. If you're joining us on one of our uh, radio affiliates, good day. I mean, it's no different. I'm glad you're here. Damian Dunn joins me as always, Vice President of Advice at your Moneyline. And hey, Money. Hello, Dame. Hey, Pete. Good to be with you. Dame. really diverse show today. I mean, like a real Crayola box of uh, content for you today. We've got, uh, there is a trend towards people using cash more because apparently businesses are giving cash discounts. And so that's a new thing after people not using cash for a decade. Uh, also, we're going to talk about insider trading without mentioning the celebrity who has always talked about with insider trading. Is that, I, Are we clear? I, I, I understand, sir. Well, I just think it's lazy. Uh, and then we're going to talk about Netflix and Peloton and how, boy, what a terrible week. You thought it was a bad week when Peloton had to recall their uh, treadmills for like uh, hurting people. <laughs> oh, wait wait until your stock falls 20% because you stopped manufacturing the things that hurt people. Uh, used to, allegedly, reportedly, and your stock is in trouble. So anyway, Dame, we're going to talk about this thing. Let's start with cash. Dame, do you carry cash? I like to. I like to carry, a, a, I
0: mean, not some massive amount, but uh, a little bit of money, a little bit of spending money in the, the wallet. Yeah
1: how much do you keep in your wallet? Do uh, you want me to check? But right By now? the way, you know, I, I, I want to know, or both going to read, do you have your wallet on you? I, I don't. I would
0: just checked after I said, do you want me to check? I would have to l- literally leave the shot to
1: to go All check. Right. I'm going to pull out my wallet. I'm going to pull it out right now. Um, I will say this. It's okay for you to publicly say how much money you have in your wallet because you are trained in Krav Maga. I... I'm a Brazilian tickle fighter, and so I am a little nervous about sharing the amount of money in my wallet. Should should we guess? Should we guess? Oh, uh, did anybody see it? Okay, guess. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, $33. Okay. For those following along on Facebook Live, YouTube Live, or Twitter Live, feel free to guess. I will set the amount to the side, and we will reference it here in just a moment. Um, All right, Dame. So here's the point. We became a little bit of a cashless society as different payment uh, situations came along, even to the point where your phone can make payments, Apple Pay, this or that. But you sent me an article this morning that I would love for you to share with the individuals here on our program that suggests that people are going back to cash because businesses prefer it.
0: Well, businesses prefer it because uh, <laughs> they can uh, obviously use it a little bit more uh rapidly, however, there's also something that they're trying to encourage the patrons to do because now they can pass on those credit card fees that they used to have to eat uh, going forward. so it, they are essentially saying hey uh, unless you want to pay us cash and get the actual price that we've got listed on there to for that item or maybe even give you a little bit of a discount because money talks uh, we're gonna charge you extra anywhere from one and a half to three and a half percent to cover those fees, and you're going to end up paying more for using the convenience of a credit card. I, I know I've ran into that a couple times recently. Um, maybe not, in you know, maybe not uh, surprisingly with the uh, state government making payments to uh, certain nope. state governments. Whoa, uh, yeah, shots fired. Um, but it's just an, another way for uh, businesses to try and control their their revenue without having to pay additional fees to somebody else. And now they can pass them on, legally pass them on.
1: Some of them are taking advantage of it. So a lot of businesses, uh, a lot. Boy, what a great modifier that was. Um, I've run across some businesses that refuse to take card, and um, have you know reluctantly agreed to accept cards because of the margin you're talking about, processing fees. Um, I have personally switched completely to being cashless, although because of my son's basketball games uh, have a $6 fee to get in, and I don't constantly want to use my debit card. I do carry cash now. I did mention earlier in the segment that uh, we were going to have a guesstimate of how much is in my wallet. Damn, you guessed 33 bucks? Uh, yes, I did, Larry Bird. Our Facebook audience, Brittany says 47. Pilot Jeremy, good I I don't know why I did that. 73. Jordan says 17. Uh, Danza, 54. Daniel goes $1, Bob. Rick at 41. Tracy at 84. And then Jordan re-guessed a crisp $2 bill because I'm an old guy that probably carries a $2 bill. The correct answer is $22 American dollars. A $20 bill and two ones is what I carry on me. And Dame, I will tell you, this is the most cash I've had on me in quite some time. The point is this. Dame, a significant, we'll say that word, um, personal finance expert is a giant proponent of carrying cash and carrying cash in envelopes uh, under the idea that you will not overspend and it is the easiest way to budget. And I... See the prudence of that, but I don't think it's the best solution for everyone, and so therefore it shouldn't be universally adopted. Do you see the value in only carrying cash and paying it that way?
0: For some people, yeah, absolutely. But that could get potentially um, dangerous uh, for for some folks. It could be um, really. Um, potentially harmful uh, as well for their their own financial situation uh, because you know if they have a, a genuine problem with spending money they're probably not going to care where the money is in the envelopes in their wallet uh on plastic credit card you, you've got to figure out a way to to get that uh, taken care of and if if they've got all the cash in in a wallet uh and they spend all their money at the second week of the month they're they're going to be in a little bit of trouble um it's It can be a
1: very effective tool to, to manage your spending. I'll say this, that at one point in time, the tangible nature of money did make me think about my spending more. But since I switched to all digital now when I have cash, it's a bit of a novelty and it feels like found money because it's money I don't have to account for. So the fact that my primary spending source is debit card, this sort of secondary found money um, – I don't. I don't feel at at all attached to that twenty two dollars uh, in my wallet. I, I'll note this though: the money in my checking account, attached to my debit card in the same wallet, I feel attached to the twenty two dollars plus in there. So that's how that how this has changed and and changes for people in different stages of their life. Now, the other thing is like when the pandemic hit. Season three of the pandemic, live streaming live everywhere. Uh, I went and got a bunch of cash, right? Because I didn't know what was going to happen. And I know you, and you could have come and protected my family. Had people come for it, sure. Um, and then I redeposited the cash because I felt fine about it then. But it, it's weird that significant amount. I think I took out like two or four thousand dollars. I don't know, but it's it's back in the bank. It was two thousand maybe. I valued that. That didn't feel like monopoly money. That didn't feel like a, an afterthought. Isn't that strange? Yeah. And actually, we
0: part of this whole, um, you know, businesses encouraging people to use cash has a psychological uh, or behavioral economic slant to it as well. It depends on how they're going to frame it. Are they going to say this is going to be an additional fee for their credit cards? Or are they going to use the word discount to try and get you to use cash? and trying to uh, tug on your emotions one way or the other to get the desired result by uh, making something either a little bit more painful or a little bit more uh, attractive to the consumer that they're dealing with. So you have cash in your wallet right now? I do, and it's probably... Don't uh,
1: tell me. I want to guess. I don't do you know? know. I, no, I I would be guessing too. Okay, well, can I guess against your guess? Sure. $67. Lower. Mm, 42 lower 20 somewhere in there coming up after the break talk about a wallet <laughs> who took a hit in the wallet this week Peloton and Netflix that's next on the Pete the Planner show I'm Pete the Planner come on how about that Siggyu? that was very nice how much is in there I, I don't
0: have I, it, it's it's a gas Dan. It, it's somewhere between um, 12 and 22 bucks
1: 12? Yeah. Jeez. You're not prepared for anything. I've I don't know what plastic. that voice is. i got plastic. <sighs> Jordan, you're a very funny person, by the way. Uh, but you know that. Um, okay. So, do you want to do... Well, I just teased the Netflix and Peloton, so we got to do that. Yeah. <laughs> it, teased it and then don't talk about it. I've done unless, that before.
0: Unless you want to do that segue again, and because it was so good the first time. It was good.
1: Um... Mm, I got to pull it up. What's Netflix? NFLX? I believe so. Uh, NFLX? Oof. Oof.
0: Okay. Did did it continue Uh, to go down this morning?
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes. In three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner show. Dame. Have you heard of the stock market? (laughs) Uh, Cows, pigs, chickens? No, not livestock market. The stock market equities. uh, So you and I in the last couple weeks have talked about the market a lot. We always do at the beginning of the year. We review what happened last year. We give predictions for this year. My Indianapolis Business Journal column last week was about the market is due for some uh, (laughs) issues. I don't... uh, I don't want to flex here. I don't know if you've ever written a newspaper article making a prediction that then comes true days later. It is an incredibly
0: addicting feeling. Should uh, should we give a brief update
1: on our uh, picks that we made earlier? Do you have them? Yeah, you me uh, uh, what, You pull we'll them make... up while I get started, and then we will do an update on our picks. So anyway, Dame. Wow, Peloton. Uh, everyone knows about Peloton. Just kidding hammered. When you are forced to stop manufacturing your product because not enough people are buying it, uh, that's bad. And I would also note what really stinks about this. CNBC reported it this week based on a confidential memo they obtained and then reported on it. And it's like, I don't know the ethics of reporting confidential inter-office memos. I have no idea. That stinks,
0: does it? Uh, Yeah, plus that could have potentially been insider trading had they acted on
1: it uh, before they they made it public. And by the way, we will circle back in the next segment and talk about insider trading as related to this. But anyway, uh, Netflix also said, wait a second. Our business is slowing down as well. There's not as much of a stream of business. <laughs> and so they are down as of this morning. Uh, today is Friday, uh, February 20, fe- <laughs> January 21st, down 25% in trading today. Dame, it has been a five-day fall from $525, five hundred dollars a share, $17 a share, down to $381 a share. And uh, as always, I like to disclose on this show when I have a particular position, I own some Netflix, which has been very profitable (laughs) for me. I am both a subscriber and an investor. Are you a subscriber and or investor in Netflix? Uh, Subscriber, yes. Uh, Investor,
0: um, I am not, but Cassie might have some.
1: Okay, that's your Mrs. Planner. Yeah, sorry, okay. my Mrs. Planner. Um, Dame, what, what do we make of this, these two sort of I- iconics a little strong, but very popular consumer brands just getting kicked in the shorts this week? Um, they both have issues. Uh, you know,
0: Peloton has um, had the best possible s- environment to sell their product for a while. Plenty of money uh, for a lot of people that would be interested in that product. They weren't going anywhere. They couldn't go to the gym. So they got to find some solution. That uh, that constraint is largely over. And so there are going to be uh, fewer and fewer people seeking out their product. And well, they made some really big bets by saying they were going to build that factory in Ohio and buying Precor and all that other stuff. I mean, they, they made some really big swings on what probably should have been looked at as just some really good times uh, for them. But I'm not on their board and I wasn't looking at their research and, and all that good stuff.
1: Yeah, we were making uninformed, yeah. a, a, an uninformed analysis of with hindsight. Yeah, oh, it's so much easier. You're so right. When they brought pre, Precor because they were struggling with manufacturing, they bought them to ramp up their manufacturing. Mm-hmm. They did so in a pandemic in which at the time, we thought that there, there was... Uh, at least a shelf life or or a half-life to this thing. Like we thought it was going to be over relatively soon Mm -hmm. and they still made that huge bet. And like, that doesn't make sense in hindsight because they're thinking, well, people are going to want to continue to work out at home once they've been trapped in their home for a year and a half. And that made no sense. (laughs) So that's a problem. And Netflix, a similar challenge where, they were trying so hard to get new content up because big movie productions weren't taking place that they were just spending billions of dollars on on new projects. And there's only so many people that are going to buy your streaming service and they have such a huge market share. At some point, their massive spending is going to be met with slowed down revenue growth. And it almost is like, well, shouldn't you be focusing more on retention and at that point.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think we've made a number of good points here, Pete. However, don't you feel like the market is just looking for reasons to take money off the table?
1: That's interesting. That's a really interesting point. I mean, yeah, yeah, I do. And I think that's why I wrote my column this week the way I did. And I think that's why you and I felt so bearish a couple of weeks ago on the show as we gave our predictions. Speaking of, let's talk about our predictions year to date we're three weeks in mm-hmm. uh go ahead just run down quickly for us uh, where everyone is pete and i each
0: took uh the opportunity to pick winners losers and the overall s&p 500 return for the year uh pete's winner for the year uh cushman wakefield large commercial real estate uh company their return year to date uh 5.5%. Okay. 5.5%. And, and running through quickly in yours. <clears throat> uh, sorry, uh, I picked Berkshire Hathaway up 2.3%. Losers, no. Pete picked Amazon uh, down 13.2%. They, they've made a huge jump in the right direction for you recently. As a, but not as an investor, though. <laughs> no, correct. <laughs> Which is bad. Yeah. Uh, and then my loser was uh, Twitter down 17.3%. Oh, Okay, now S&P. Uh, Down 7.4% for the year. And you chose? Four.
1: And I chose? Seven positive. Ooh, I'm getting killed. Yep. Needless to say, you and I are a little bit bearish. Yes. Dame, here's the thing about Netflix and Peloton specific to this conversation. And I'm going to give my opinion, as though the other minutes of this show aren't my opinion. But I have a Peloton. Mm Mm-hmm. I find it to be one of the most satisfying consumer experiences I've ever been involved with. It's high quality. It's smart. It's effective. It's engaging. It's everything I've ever loved about a consumer experience. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I think a lot of people who have them do. However, now I'm speaking in generalities. A $2,000 exercise bike that connects to the internet only has so much of a market, does it not?
0: Yeah, uh, not only $2,000 exercise bike, but also the monthly fee that goes along with streaming all the content. So it's, uh, it's a double dip almost for you on your commitment level there. Uh, I don't think it's an issue with the product and the experience for most of the consumers. It's a pretty high bar to entry
1: for a lot of folks. I want to make a prediction that will be somewhat meaningless to people who are not familiar with the Peloton culture. And by the way, the fact that I just said the Peloton culture makes my own skin crawl. When you get your tattoo, Pete. Okay. Uh, Here's what's going to happen next in my estimation. I have no insider knowledge here. And if I did, I wouldn't trade on it, which we'll talk about in the next segment. They are about to lay off some high-priced talent. So the, their whole thing is they have these really popular, engaging instructors that people associate with, and that becomes their coach, and you, you ride with that person. That's my reality. I'm not a coach. I ride with... Anyway, those people got to enjoy the success of Peloton climbing, and I think they're going to find that they are now part of the cost-saving measure. And so I think it's going to get ugly. That that And, and people are going to be pretty upset, and they're going to lose subscribers over it. It'd be interesting to see
0: how much of their revenue still comes from subscriptions because if if that's a big part of it, can they really
1: get rid of talent? Uh, that's a great question. I think a vast majority of their revenue comes from subscriptions at this point. That's a really good point. One that we can't explore because it's time for a break. Coming up after the break, insider trading. If you knew Peloton was going to fall, would you have traded on the information? They did. I'm Pete the Planner. This is next. Oh, my God. I'll just say this about what's happening right now. Um, segues are good today. <laughs> Thank you, Miguel. Uh, Jeremy notes, uh, remember when Netflix announced a split between services of streaming and discs? Will this be worse? Uh, doubt it. That's a good point. Do you remember that? I don't remember if I don't
0: know if I remember the announcement and what the subsequent fallout was, but
1: so I guess no, no, I don't. Danza notes, and Danza, by the way. Uh, Dame and I noted, uh, at the conclusion of last week's show, you said you were going to, uh, uh, go see your physician about some things. And, and w- before we could even acknowledge that or wish you well, the stream ended. So Dame and I want you to know that we're thinking about you and pulling for you and hope you're doing okay. Yes. All right. Uh, Danza notes. If I was going to buy a really expensive piece of exercise equipment, I'd go with something more versatile, a Pilates, uh, reformer or a tonal machine. Now, Dame, not to make the show a- about exercise equipment. Have you seen the tonal? Is that the the thing that adjusts
0: the resistance based on the force that you're exerting on the bar?
1: Uh yeah, digital weights. I mean, I don't. I think it's called <laughs> digital weights. I don't know what you just said. I did poorly in physics, but it's it's uh, it's digital weights. It's like a. It looks like a, a vertically hung, yeah. hanged. I don't know what's happening now. Vertical television on your wall. And then it's got like uh, ropes coming out of it, which are digital weights. And you can do all sorts of pulls and pushes and things based on adjusting the levers. It looks amazing. However, and this is a big one, it's $4,000. Wow, I can get two Pelotons for that money. You can ride side by side and have your own Peloton. I would prefer to draft behind my wife. So anyway, let's uh, continue. Dame, insider trading. Are you ready to talk insider trading? Uh, yes. You like how I let that one sit there for a while? Yep. Okay. Um, all right. Danza says, thank you. We're glad you're fine. Well, we're glad you're well, getting the attention you need. I should say that. Uh, okay. Here we go. In three, two, one. Back on the Pete the Planner Show. Dame, it's everyone's favorite topic.
0: Insider trading.
1: I don't I don't know why I did that. I'm sorry. Dame, insider trading is one of those things that people toss around and they're like, oh, it's insider trading. Is that insider trading? Is Congress insider trading? And who's insider trading? Insider trading is a technical thing that we're going to discuss today. And we're going to talk about why it's bad, who's susceptible to it, and what you need to know because sometimes people hear stuff that isn't insider trading and then they trade on it. Other times people hear stuff that is insider information and then trade on it, and then they can go to jail. So we're gonna just sort of clarify this. I I would note that a vast majority of uh, people are not subject to insider trading. No, If you're in the securities profession, and I don't mean like a security guard, I mean, if you are a a registered representative, uh, you help people uh, with their money, invest their money, you you are definitely subject to it. And you also have to understand if you are in an executive or leadership position at a publicly traded company and you receive privileged information that is non-public, then you also are at risk. So, Dane, what is the technical definition of insider trading? Uh, Any trade that occurs because it
0: was influenced by the privileged possession of corporate information that has not yet been made public.
1: Yeah, this came up this week um, that... Peloton, the the insiders. Now, the insiders, by the way, within an organization are are generally the highest ranking uh, employees, leaders within an organization that own oftentimes a significant portion of the organization. So they would know everything. The CEO of a company does generally know more about the company than anybody else and what's going on good and bad. And if they were to use that information that no one else really knows or a tight group of people knew and traded on it, that's, that is insider trading. And, and what happened this week is we were talking about Peloton in the last segment, hundreds of millions of dollars of sales occurred in the recent past prior to Peloton falling on hard times. And then the question has been posed, is this insider trading? So, Dame, I, I put this to you. and You were not exactly an expert on insider trading, but this is just a conversation here. Just because uh, upper uh, echelon of folks at, at an organization sell prior to negative news, is that insider trading? Uh, it depends on the position quite a bit and how much uh,
0: information would be in my in my understanding, it depends on the position and how much information is made available. Um, so, I mean, this this goes outside of the walls of that company as well. Your auditors are subject to this. Oh, yeah. Your attorneys are subject to this. I it's not just worrying about uh, the people who would have the information that are employed, uh, you know, W two by that that company. There are other entities that have restrictions on when they can and can't even just even purchase a a, a security. So um, it it really depends on the role of the individual
1: and what information they have. I will note one of the most famous uh, existences, examples of uh, insider trading was when non-public information was found out about blue star airlines uh, in the movie wall street. (laughs) When bud the son of the union head Martin Sheen uh, got information and passed that information to Gordon Gecko, played by Michael Douglas. And that was classic insider trading. Dame, the other element of the Peloton situation is this: a lot of the stock that was sold, that's in question, was sold when it was at an all-time high, mm-hmm. and when which arguably also was matched up at a time when some restrictions were removed. Uh, around that stock because there's such a thing as restricted stock that that people can't sell for a certain period of time. And so it's one thing to brush this as possible insider trading, it's another to look with the additional context and say, "Hey, why wouldn't you take some chips off the table when you've made a huge gain, especially when some restrictions come off of you?" That is not insider trading. I mean, do you have non-public information? Yes, the CEO always has non-public information. But the fact that they make a trade and they're always in possession of non-public information doesn't make it insider trading.
0: No. Uh, In fact, uh, looking at it from a financial planning perspective, it was probably the right thing to do for a lot of people. They uh, had A huge amount of their net worth tied up in one individual equity. And you've got to take some of that off the table and get it reallocated into a, a more diverse portfolio. So it was probably the exact right thing to do for a bunch of these executives, even if they had to do it over a period of time.
1: I'll tell you this. I, I'm i a nerd. I don't, did, you, did you know that? The glasses gave it away. I oh my gosh on the way to work this morning I know we're on the radio here right now and not just the podcast but I have to tell you a story that I would otherwise just tell the podcast I left my home this morning I forgot my glasses my watch and my my banana which like a physical actual banana not a euphemism for anything and I knew my day was off to a rough start when I had to go around two roundabouts to come back home to get my glasses my watch and banana that's a rough stuff. I can't believe you left the house without glasses. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. So um, I want to say this, that one of my favorite things to do as a nerd is to go into a site like CNBC.com and check out the insider trends and the insider holdings. And you can see the the main holders of stock within an organization and what they're doing with it. Are, buying, are they buying more? Are they selling their shares? Now, I just clicked on Peloton's insider holdings. And for some reason, no data was found. I'm not sure why, but I'll, I'll choose another stock here for a second. Uh, I know talking uh, stonks on the radio is a good time, but let's go to Delta Airlines, for instance, okay? So hmm. I, I went to Delta Airlines. Uh, I'm pulling up their ownership, insider holdings, insider trends. And so what you're seeing is for instance, one of their directors, and I'm not going to say the person's name because they're not apropos to the story. On November 30th of 2021, as a one day late birthday present to myself, this person purchased $213,000 worth of stock, 6,000 shares. And now this person has 40,000 total shares. And so when you go through and you look in this regard, you can see how the leaders of people with all this inside information, how they're trading. Um, So what you see is the last five major events within the insiders of Delta Airlines, July 19th, someone bought 3,000 shares. August 3rd, the same person bought 5,000 shares. August 31st, a different uh, officer bought 1,200 shares. And then on November 26th and November 30th, respectively, the same guy who was buying all the shares bought more shares. I find that fascinating. Do you ever look at that? Yeah, occasionally. Um, I've
0: been looking uh, probably more at what our uh, political leaders have been buying and selling based on their disclosures. But uh, yeah, it's always interesting because there's, as fun as those things, the insider trading information is to look at, there are, almost always ulterior motives uh, behind them because if, if things are going down the executives can't chuck their shares in too because that's going to send off the wrong signals uh, to, to everything so um, the, what I'm saying is the executive may want to make a move one way or the other but they can't because of the signals it's going to send to the rest of the market so it's it's interesting to see where they're doing what they're doing if they're uh, you know putting their money where their mouth is but uh, it's' More of a curiosity to me, I think, than anything
1: else. May I make a very pointless statement, please? Of course. <laughs> it's my specialty. Insider trading at the political lever level bothers me so much. Mm-hmm. I do not lose sleep over it. However, I find it incredibly unfair, unpatriotic. I'm not Mr. I'm by the way, I'm not Mr. Patriot here, but I find that incredibly unpatriotic and completely unfair. And also uniquely American. Uh, However, I will note, this is the pointless statement. Whereas I prefer people don't insider trade at a corporate level, it doesn't for some reason bother me as much as when politicians insider trade. Is that a dumb statement? No, not at all.
0: Uh, Plus, I think the rest of us would really like to know how much it's going to cost to get you on a Captain America suit,
1: Mr. Patriot. Uh, no, I am not. All right. Coming up after the break, the biggest waste of money of the week, and it's time for Dame's Time to Shine, the news. That's next. I'm Pete the Planner. You know what I mean, though? Yes, totally. The fact
0: that politicians can own individual equities makes zero sense to me.
1: I'm not. Gonna, I was about to say, ah, I'll die on that hill. No, I'm not. going to not, not give it. I don't care that much. But I am. I read something the other day, and we're not getting. We're not getting political here. Okay, uh, but I can still use a person's name. I read something the other day. It said a vast majority of people agree, even uh, politicians, that they shouldn't insider trade. But the one person against making a change happens to be Nancy Pelosi, who. Arguably, reportedly, has a history related to investments in non-public situations.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you hear the well. At least make them put them everything in a blind trust. No, I, I think you can freeze your portfolios the day you are elected to office. Every investment from there on out goes into an index funds, fund. ETFs, whatever. Uh, I'm not going to force you to liquidate your portfolios. Uh, that you had before that but you can't do anything with them Uh, you can't sell them you can't buy on them you're going to be forced to let them sit until you come back out and then you can get back into business
1: You know, I I used to, I used to have two big hot button issues that relates to sort of these sort of conversations, this right, insider trading for politicians and then term limits. You know, I I was like, you know, I think term limits are important. And then I, you know, someone sort of worked out, worked me over and was like, well, institutional knowledge is important. And I was like, "Eh, that's true. I mean, that's a valid argument. There is no comeback against insider trading for politicians. None. There's no way you can say. Have we considered it this way? Because there's nothing. It's it's absurd.
0: They are uh, underpaid employees of our federal government, Pete, and they need to be able to make a living when they retire because their pension won't be enough.
1: See, I, I don't. This is dumb. I don't, This that's not what this show is. Where we're not going to start talking about this stuff. But I like I, I can find myself getting super mad, super fast about these sorts of things. Um, because it's about power and the ability to milk the position longer than than previously allowed right it's like this idea of like the longer i stay the longer i can use this power to gain money and it's just like jeez drives me nuts yeah and I, I yeah it's also important to note i do as as maybe a, a hip hop artist might say I'm not concerned with another man's bag. (laughs) I don't care about someone else's money. I I mean, in in terms of like, I'm not bothered by how much money you have or don't have as long as I'm not helping you with your personal finances. Like people are like, ah, billionaires. I'm like, I don't care about that. But when it comes to politicians trading on this information, I do care about their bag. It just, it's so infuriating. I don't know. Why am I, who cares? Why am I talking about this? It's fun. Is it? Yeah, it is. I don't. Miguel, I'm not having fun. Miguel appreciates it. Um, Miguel's hitting a little softer today, a little bit more controlled hit this morning. What do you think? I yeah, for
0: sure. But this is your first of the day. Oh, I only have one a day. Two will kill you. Oh. What? Is this your first real uh, caffeine of the day? No, I had a large cup of coffee this morning, too. Oh, well, maybe they just weren't staggered quite right. But it is a a
1: less pronounced effect. I'm not going to say Mrs. Planner made the coffee this morning. It may have been a little weak. I'm not going to say that. All right, coming up, the next segment. Are you ready? Yes. In three, two, uh -uh, uh -uh. one. This week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner show is the Byrido Times X and I still haven't figured out how to say that. Byrido and Ohas Bioj Uhi uh-huh or horn-loaded scent dispenser. Okay. Okay, <laughs> guys, I got to reset this. Every week we have a thing called the biggest waste of money of the week. And the brand name of this thing is so outlandish. It's, it's, it's called the Byretto and Ohas Bioge 001 horn-loaded scent dispenser. Ohas founder, Devin Turnbull and Byretto founder, Ben Gorham, fuse their two mediums to create a unique multi-sensory experience. The Bioge 001 horn-loaded scent dispenser is a limited edition room diffuser designed to combine speaker design theory and scent. Borrowing from high-efficiency sound waves, the speaker-like device efficiently releases scent into the air to enhance music rooms or any listening space. This bespoke piece comes with 10 capsules and is limited to only 100 examples. Dame. This thing looks like it looks like in a commercial building the horn or siren. Actually, it looks like a, a tornado yes. warning horn. Yes, on top of a VCR. <laughs> okay, it, it is it is crazy. What do you think this horn loaded horn loaded horn loaded <laughs> scent dispenser cost?
0: Uh, since you couldn't pronounce either of the names, I'm going to go with
1: uh, $650. No, All right. $1,300. You were half right. Dame. did we ever figure out how to say the X on these collabos? Uh, our research team says the X means buy. Buy? Yeah. Byretto, buy Ohas, buy OJ, 001, horn, horn-loaded scent dispenser. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I'm saying it wrong. It's a horn-loaded scent disperser. (laughs) What? I mean, I don't know. I mean, does this qualify as like the biggest waste of money ever on this show? Can't you just get a can of Febreze and call it good? Oh, yeah. In college, I lived in a fraternity house. Mm. And don't think, oh, he's a Fred guy. Reluctantly. Trust me. Somebody force you there? no, my friends were there, but I'm not like a fraternity guy. I'm not like, I saw no value in the structure of the fraternity. People like these are your brothers. And I'm like, no, some of these people I don't like at all. It's just, we, we both put on a robe at one point. Right. It was just like, I I have no association with these people. Uh, and yeah, don't at me. Uh, I used to for the heck out of my, Frat room because it stunk because a bunch of these people I didn't like stunk and so do you remember just Febreze and everything. Oh yeah, of oh. course. I mean, every once in a while
0: you you fall back in love with Febrezing stuff.
1: Uh yeah, Mrs. Planner doesn't let me touch the senses. You know the scent that I'm not allowed to disperse horn-loaded scent in our home. Maybe this would change <laughs> her mind. Can you imagine if I like she opened this for Christmas and she's like, What is it? And I was like, what? Sarah? Like, I called her by her government name. It's a Birido by by Ojas Bios 001 horn loaded scent disperser. One of 100. One of 100. I can get an NFT of this too. I emptied my hair plug fund over this. <laughs> Dame, what's in the news this week? Well, that was a, I felt like that was a genuine laugh. Did you just was, genuinely laugh at me? Uh, the the hair
0: plugs. Uh, they always, uh, you know, the funniest stuff always hits a little close to home, right? What's in the news? The University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School is generally oh. regarded as one of the finest business schools in the country. U.S. News and World Report ranks it second, only behind Stanford. The Fighting Trees. Uh But these aspiring giants of the business world could use an education in real-world economics. Nina Strominger, a professor of legal studies and business ethics, tweeted that she had asked students what the average American makes. They did not do well. I was hoping you'd do this, this this story this week. I saw this and I guffawed, audibly guffawed. Quote, I asked Wharton students what they thought the average American worker makes per year, and 25% of them thought it was... Over six figures. One of them thought it was $800,000. Really not sure what to make of this. The real number is 45000
1: Dame, uh, at dinner one night, the Planner Clan, we're sitting down, and, and Mrs. Planner and I were just like, I don't know how we got there, but we started talking about real-world economics with our kids. Mm. What do you think a car costs? So mm, Ted sure. would gas yeah. and then Ollie would gas. What do you think this house costs? What do you think a, a person earns? Um. Now, I'm proud to say that my nine-year-old son and 12-year-old daughter had much better guesses than these highly educated, privileged people.
0: Yeah. I, you know, something I've, other uh, stuff that I think some people don't realize, and maybe in the upper echelon of, of the income spectrum, is that not everybody gets a raise in their paycheck midway through the year because they capped out their FICA withholding. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Right. But yeah. Totally. Yeah. So so there's a cap on how much you uh you you pay into Social Security, and if you are in the uh, upper end of uh, the income spectrum, you cap out somewhere. You know, maybe in the middle of the year, three quarters of the way through the year, and then your paycheck gets bigger because those taxes aren't
1: withheld anymore. Not everybody realizes that. I was sitting with a good friend last night that hadn't got to talk to in a long time that. Uh, I view this person's financial mind as brilliant as anyone I know. They're not in the financial business; uh, they're a business owner. And he and I were talking, and he was talking about his twenty-something-year-old sons. One's twenty-one, one's twenty-four. Talking to them about money, and in the last few years, how he's just, you know, everything, everything is. They talk about everything, and and one of the challenges as to why he's doing this is because these kids grew up in such a nice lifestyle. That he and I both share this belief that oftentimes kids from really well-heeled families, they try to replicate that lifestyle they had in their late mm-hmm. adolescence without the income to do it. Mm-hmm. And so he basically went to them and uh, – it is what it is. I mean, what, he went to them and said, look, I make over half a million dollars a year. Uh, you make less than $50,000 a year. So what you think you want to replicate is not possible and you should not try. And and I was like, whoa. Like, don't get here, here's the, the the truth about our show. Do not get distracted by the fact that I just said this person makes over a half million dollars. Do not do it. The story here is that's so smart because the danger of people in, in young adulthood is if they had a very comfortable late adolescence, they're going to try to replicate that out of a sense of comfort and normalcy. And if you can prevent them from doing that with real data, that's amazing parenting. Yeah, and that that risk is run by families
0: uh, all over the income spectrum as well. You you get a college graduate who grew up in a a middle-income, upper-middle-income household. They've got debts coming out of school. They've got all sorts of obligations. They don't have the income. To, to maintain that lifestyle they are accustomed to. And they're going to have to very consciously take a step back in order to put themselves on track to have a very healthy financial
1: future. It's just reality. I needed that conversation with that guy last night. You you know him. Um, I just, there when when good friends can have very transparent financial conversations where there's trust and there's no judgment, man, you can learn a lot. Church. You just really can in uh, I think we're sort of indoctrinated this idea that you shouldn't talk about money with your close friends. Cause you know, it's like you know, bedroom things and religion and politics, mm-hmm. <laughs> bedroom things. How old, well, what, what, oh, welcome to the 1950s. This is the pizza platter show. It's a variety show. Um, why do I say bedroom things? I'm embarrassed by myself. Anyway, I think with the right group of people, you can challenge yourself with your own financial thoughts and how you parent. And his kids are 10 years ahead of my kids. So it really makes me think about how I'm going to have these conversations. But anyway, that's the show this week. Did we just literally get through one news story? Um, Yes. Save them for next week. Dame, thanks for being on the show. As always, the rest of you, I'm sending you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner. This is the Pete the Planner Show. Yeah. It's funny. My, my guy and I have had conversations for five, 10 years about stuff and it's so weird. Well, that's not weird. It's life. The stage of life that your kids are in, you've gathered more information about them and who they are and and your thoughts. And so what you think you're going to parent them like when they're 12 completely changes when they're in 2022 or when they're 22, because you know so much more about them and about, what it is to be 10 years older with more wisdom. And, and I don't know, it's like really tangible for me last night. Yeah, I mean, I think that just
0: comes along with being a, a, a good parent too because the the approach you're going to take when your kid's 12 or 13 hopefully is going to be different than the approach you take when they're 22 or 23. You're hopefully teaching them responsibility along the way in all sorts of aspects of their life. Uh, they'll have their own experiences to draw from and they'll probably start looking at you like you actually know something at, at that point as well. And being able to listen and, uh, and acknowledge
1: that you actually provide some value to their life. So, yeah, I, I unfortunately I did not get to, uh, echo you on the radio, but you made an incredibly important point here it, <laughs> that it, this is still valid no matter your income range. <laughs> right. My example is an extreme example, um, So needless to say. I think about my own experience, Uh, you know,
0: growing up and and, and what I was used to and comfortable with and uh, how quickly I ended up in a house uh, bigger than anything I grew up in. Uh, And part of that was housing market and and all that other stuff, but uh, and and hard work of of my wife and myself. But um, we lived in an apartment for a while that was tiny and had some very suspect neighbors uh, but we had that time period to go through and set ourselves up for for our future so um it's it's an important lesson that i i don't think enough young adults have been
1: presented with that they they have to come to grips with or they're
0: going to really struggle down the
1: road i think uh, uh, another piece to this puzzle about my discussion last night was the acknowledgement that a young adult now is in a much more difficult financial position mm-hmm. than th- my friend and I were at our at that age right i mean you look at anything from healthcare costs mm-hmm. to the jobs market to starting incomes have barely moved in 25 to 30 years all things considered especially compared to the cost of college and the cost of housing i mean i mean it is the old like pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Got to learn the hard way. I got to struggle a little bit. Like that's neat, but the reality of of of, of income and wealth disparity don't support the narrative of working harder, right? I mean, like right. it just that's not the thing. It's just systemically, it's a it's a tougher spot for even the most well accomplished, well healed young people. You know, totally.
0: And uh, some of that comes along with expectations, whether they are real or perceived. That they think they have to accomplish X, Y, and Z to either prove something to themselves, their family, their friends, their social media, who knows what it is. They they make what would be seen as irrational decisions in hindsight
1: at the drop of a hat for all the wrong reasons. Which brings us to something we didn't talk about on the show that was going to be part of a segment today. And then people get the dumb guidance from people who are doing fine of, well, if you have one less streaming service, you're gonna be fine. Yeah. You cut one of them streams, like don't have Disney Plus and everything gonna be fine. Like, My world, our world, you and me together, we live in this world of personal finance hot tips where people are like, stop getting expensive coffee and it'll all be fine. Do you think, honestly, that me choosing not to get a bubble-ass latte, yeah. can I say that? Yeah, sure. Do you think that matters In relation to what we're talking about, do you think the fact that I've got ESPN Plus or that some 22-year-old that likes to watch European soccer has uh, Paramount Plus so they can watch the Champions League, do you think that matters in in, in the realm of $36,000 of student loan debt on average and sky-high housing prices, does that matter? No, it doesn't. It's so reductive. It drives me crazy. Feel like on. a human I feel like a human today and I, <laughs> so you're, you're on a roll I was just gonna stand back and let you continue because it was like I'm telling you this our company that, that you and I uh, get to work for here uh th- the reason why we're different and I, I don't I don't do this I don't talk about this but the reason we're different is because you can try to push people to be better better while still being realistic as it relates to the empathetic nature of the challenge at hand. Like, if someone is struggling, they're 22, it's not because they're eating avocado toast. It's because systemically we have structurally changed our economy. And, and, and like, and as we can complain about that, and we can, or complain about Hulu, or we can take the cards we're dealt and, and, and try to make it better. And, like, that's why financial wellness companies can exist and thrive by the acknowledgement of reality. Not the, well, you just need to Mm -hmm. save more. If you save more, you'd be fine. It's like, yeah, cool. Uh, My housing price is 40% higher than yours was when you were my age. But thanks for the tip. Yeah, it it would be
0: fun to, and fun might be a stretch, maybe fun for you and I. Yeah, true. To uh, come up with a list of expenses that uh, we had in our 20s that our parents didn't have in their 20s and that our kids will most likely have in their 20s that we didn't have in our 20s. I know. It just, it's it's harder. It's harder may not be the right word. It is uh, more complicated to navigate a healthy financial life now than it ever has been.
1: Yeah, Rick, uh, in the comments here makes a brilliant point. Still bringing that big Rick energy today. Uh, the good news is seven percent inflation. Yeah, right. I, I'm not. I mean, I, I'm. It's just not the topic of the day. I'm I'm not like, our country is ending. Like, I'm not, like, we're not, I don't, not my thing. But I will say that that additional element of 7% inflation in in spite of all these other things, in fact, some specific inflation, like housing, healthcare, um, education, make it that much harder. You know, the other conversation my friend and I were having last night is the classic, Damon. you and I talk about this on the air all the time and in our own personal lives with each other because we're weirdos. Uh, wiping out all student debt solves close to nothing for everyone who comes after the wipeout. Right. It it makes it worse for everyone. Making college free doesn't solve anything for the people who have student debt. And it's not like they're going to make college. They, I hate when people say they, and I just said it, there's like, they are going to make college free and wipe out all the student loan debt. Cause that, that is just truly impossible. And so, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm, just, I'm all hopped up on Miguel. That's 100% clubby and cold brew coffee brought to you by the good folks of Costco. Kirkland Signatures, Miguel. Let the fuerte in. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, here's what Danza had to say. True story. When my parents bought their house in 66 and their payment was almost $100 a month, everyone thought they were crazy for buying such an expensive home. Yeah wild I um, I don't want to say that publicly um, let me think about this <laughs> I'm working on a project I don't know it's innocuous enough on which I was doing some research around housing prices in 1980 and college prices in 1980 and healthcare prices in 1980 compared to today and and, and of course the, the the lever to all of this is income right like how does that compare Brrr brutal. Jim. Jamison, welcome to the show. We're ending in 30 seconds because you got here. And he's got lots of stuff to do. I know. I, I got a lot of stuff to do. Totally too much to do. Damon, with that, I bid you adieu. <laughs> oh, I was pretty quick for being exhausted coming into this and hitting Miguel. So, I hope you have a good weekend. Everyone else, hope you have a good weekend. I mean, in the spirit of what the show is really about, stay getting money.